exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. here on 89FM. I'm your host, Melissa, and tonight we've got, well, another lovely special lineup of folks from Olin Health Center here for Sexposure tonight. Um, so our hour to talk about sex health and give you guys out there some information. So if you guys have any questions throughout the show, just feel free to give us a call at 432-3893. All right, Olin Health Center, how are you guys doing tonight? Woohoo! I'm bad. so happy to be back in the studio. On oh, back in the semester. Yeah, it's a studio. <laughs> <laughs> so radio friendly. Yeah. yeah also back, doing? students? Um, doing pretty good. Kind of, you know, this is actually going to be my, my last show um, tonight with you guys because I actually have class and my professor's been gracious enough to let things slide a little bit these first two weeks. But I'm going to miss you guys and I'm looking forward to an awesome show. So what are we going to be talking about tonight? Tonight we're talking about alternatives to sex. Alternatives to sex. Oh my god! I know. Uh, like, is this? A, this are is we like allowed to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> I think call it. All right. So, like, I guess by alternatives to sex, like, what what does that mean? Like, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, just you know, people who choose to not be sexually active, things that they can do to still feel intimacy with their partner or pleasure for themselves in ways that you know don't require another person. So we've got quite a list of fun ways to. Stay sexually happy. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. That was very nice. Well, we, we can we can start off the new year. This is uh, Doctor D, and this uh, Andrew's here, and Casey's here. Hey, hi. Anne's here, and we are sad that it's your last show because we've yeah. we've been a pleasure working with you, and this just means we're gonna have to break in another impact host, which is <laughs> takes about six months. So, so it didn't uh, really take that long for me. No, not for you. No, yeah. no, just the other ones. Uh, no, but we're we're uh, sorry to see you leave, but we understand. Mm-hmm. So it's 2007. Uh, we're gonna talk about sex, right? We're always talking about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy sex talking about sex. That's, that's all show. we do. <laughs> Time. You know, we, we, we uh, as we try to think about uh, the topic tonight, we always try to make it, you know, different, unique, fresh. We uh, had the conversation. I think we started actually last time on the show, talked about why people have sex, and then it's led to uh, a lot of discussion about why people do have sex. And, you know, recently in the in some of the uh, blogs and on, online stuff, we've been talking about uh, uh, people who choose not to have sex, which is something we're going to talk about tonight, too. But you know, I go back to what I said originally, that there's, you know the reasons why people choose to have sex uh, uh, are usually revolve around two, two reasons, one, procreation, and the other, pleasure. Although there's a lot of other reasons why people tend to think they choose to have sex, but we encourage you to call in tonight at 432-3893 because we do have our prize packs tonight. Uh, also, for those callers who call in, and what's in the prize pack, Casey? Do you remember what's in the prize pack? Well, there, as always, there's condoms <clears throat> and lube and a variety of each of those things. We have a dental dam, and we also have a... Um, a what am I trying to say? Gift certificate for a Douglas J massage. Mm-hmm. Complimentary, mm-hmm. right? It's good stuff. So you should call in. Absolutely. Good stuff on lube. Now, what? Now, just so uh, the listeners out there, this uh, audience, what is lube? What is what do you use lube for? Sexual lubricant. That's what, what it's for. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Andrew. I, it's like <laughs> duh. Well, I mean, do you want a, Do you want a detailed list of things you can use it for? <laughs> no, not that for? extensive. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, maybe a better question is, uh, you know, if if you kind of make your own lubrication, like it seems to be kind of natural, why would you need like additional lubricant? What do you mean, make your own lubricant? Mean in the well, kitchen, you just kind of no, set you don't the make pot. it. No, your body, your, your body um, actually, you know, makes its own lubricant um, during sex or sexual stimulation. So why would you need extra lubricant? Well, I think some people find it um, a little easier to get started if you have a. An additional lubricant. It's it can be fun. It can be something new and exciting. You know, with flavored lubes or lubes that heat up and um, 
there's just a variety of different things that you can do with them. It enhances the feel of condoms. If you put some on the tip of the inside of the condom, it can enhance the pleasure for the man. And, and what we were in talking about tonight, we also talked about the about what's normal. And not everyone necessarily does make a lot of lubrication. Some people do need it. Uh, and we can't assume that everyone uh, makes enough lubrication internally or physiologically to actually make it pleasurable or even make it happen. So sometimes, but when you said when you said lube, I think sometimes we as health educators and people who work in the area of sexuality a lot, we tend to throw the words around and we expect everyone to know what they are. Like right. a dental dam. You know, there's probably people listening that don't know what a dental dam. You're thinking about going and getting a filling <laughs> or something. What, what's, what a, what's a dental dam? A uh, dental dam is a piece of latex that looks like a, what would you say, like four by four, five by five square. And it can stretch and everything, and it's just a um, piece of latex that you can place over a woman's vagina to make um, oral sex um, safer, create a barrier, or um, oral anal sex safer, and that's for men or women. So now that you know it's in the prize pack and you have full (laughs) understanding, you have no reason not to call in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, the reasons for sex, procreation and pleasure. Uh, What do you think about that? Making babies. <laughs> making babies. Practicing making babies. Practicing making babies. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why people choose to have sex um, outside of reproduction and pleasure. Um, when you get to the core of, of what they're doing, maybe it comes down to it, but I think there's probably a list six miles long of to, as to why people choose to have sex. And I think it's important for us to explore those. You know, well, I think it's, you know, when we when you ask people that, you know, whether you're in a counseling session or you just see somebody on the street <laughs> and you say, why do you have sex? You know, you get a lot of different reasons from people. Uh, a lot know, of different I, stares if you ask people on the street, too. People <laughs> well, it depends who you funny. ask, you know. Uh, so. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, when I was taught back in the old days, you know, you know, we used to say that there's really only two reasons to have sex, and one is procreation and one is pleasure. And at that time, we were trying to get a point across the point that uh, it's not all just about procreation. I think in the U.S. we we tend to talk about it more in the in the in, uh, when we talk about procreation, and it, it's all right to talk about when it's pleasure. But there are no reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, when you ask people, you get it for everything from releasing anxiety to uh, you know striking out and getting back at somebody for for purposes of bringing a relationship together or for purposes of bringing a relationship apart. All different reasons why people have sex. And I don't think any of them are really necessarily wrong unless they're done without consent or without, you know, uh, a chance of passing an, you know, an STI. Uh, but it's really up to you to decide whether, you know, and we used to do this exercise. They used to have this whole list of, of reasons why people have sex. And uh, they would mark off the reasons why they would have sex. And they'd say, well, then go down this list and see, see which one's, See which ones you're comfortable comfortable with and which ones you're not. And it's not up for me to tell you which ones aren't right, but you really need to ask yourself why. All right. Well, I, I hate to interrupt you, Dr. D, but it looks like we have a caller. I'll go for it. Awesome. So let's see what our caller has to say. Caller? Hi. Hi. Do you have a question Hello. for us? Um. Yes. I was just wondering, if you do decide not to have sex, when and how should you bring that up with your partner? Like, is there a certain amount of time you should be dating before you actually bring it up? I think that that is a great question. And I think, as most of our answers from this side of the table are, it really depends on your individual circumstance and the reasons why you're choosing not to have sex and your partner. And there's a ton of variables that I think there's no clear-cut, well, you have to wait four and a half weeks. You know, it's it's it depends on the situation. I think one of the variables, too, is what exactly are you defining as sex? Because a lot of people define sex in many different ways. Um, even just different uh, kinds of sex, oral sex, uh, sexual intercourse. Um, and that's something that you need to discuss with your partner as well. Like, because some people decide that they're only going to have oral sex, but and they're not counting it as sex. So it's it's kind of a gray area, and it's something that you kind of have to decide with your partner uh, on your own. And one thing that um, actually later in the show we'll be talking a little bit more about our um, sex troupe, our in-your-face reality theater troupe. And they do a skit about abstinence and choosing to be abstinent and when and how to talk about it. And one thing that I think is really important is um, making sure that you have 
that you know what you want to say, which obviously I don't because I just stuttered like eight times. But, you know, when when is an appropriate place? You know, when is an appropriate time? If it's in the bed and things are hot and heavy, so to speak, maybe you should have said something beforehand if you're not going to be able to stop yourself at that point. If it's a... Uh, the example they use is a loud club. That's probably not the best place because there's a lot of misunderstandings going on. And Especially if there's alcohol involved. Right. And, um, you know, knowing your reasons why, not just, oh, I'm going to stay a virgin because I want to stay a virgin. You know, really knowing yourself to know why you want to stay a virgin or be abstinent. And um, being able to express that to yourself so it's easier to express to your partner. And also being able to to understand that at any point um, you can stop the, the situation, the progression of it, and being able to say no um, and just recognizing that you have the ability to say no at any point in time, even if you haven't talked about it. I think everyone, everything that's been said here is valuable for you to listen to. You know, and Casey said, if you're really firm in your belief about why you do want to have sex or not want to have sex, then you'll know how to do it. You really do. But what Casey brings up a good point is is asking yourself the questions first of why you choose not to, and for that matter, why you choose to. And if you really believe in the reasons why you've chosen one way or another, you'll find a way to do the how. The when, well, that's really kind of up to the relationship, where you're at, how you feel about it, how you've uh, uh, felt about the person you're with. So I think if you're really firm in your beliefs about your choice, then you'll figure out the way to do it. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thanks for calling. Hope that helps. Loaded question. I mean, there's a lot of aspects to that that we've all kind of talked about, you know, the the uh, reasons why you choose to do what you do. So that's a good question. Mm-hmm. And I, I think something, too, kind of important to consider is that um, oftentimes, like, there's a lot of pressure to have sex in a relationship, but there's so many things that you can do with your partner that are fun um you know, mutually enjoyable, but aren't necessarily sex. So, I mean, those are things to consider as well. So, and I think, I think in making the decision to have sex or not have sex, you need to look at, you know, like we've been talking about this reproduction and pleasure. If you're not, well, reproduction is a little bit different because if you want to reproduce, some at some point you're probably going to have to have sex, or <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily, but. <laughs> Um, if that, if that's one reason why you're having sex, that might have to come along. But also, you know, a lot of people, as far as pleasure goes, can define that as like a connection with your partner and that level of intimacy. And so if you're not choosing to have sex, what can you do to still have that intimacy and that connection? Well, I, w- I want to go to that next point, Casey, about benefits of sex in a relationship. I want to go back to something you said, Melissa, and... But I think I hear this a lot. You know, let's just talk about it for a minute. The pressure is to have sex in a relationship. Where does that pressure come from? Or is that in your own mind? Is that something you bring into a relationship that you feel at some point it has to happen because you've watched movies and read books and past relationships with other people? Does the pressure actually come from your partner? Does it come from your, probably not from your parents. But where, where, does, where do you think this perceived pressure comes? Because you hear this a lot. At, at what time do I have sex? Like, it's it's the defining point in the relationship. It's like, it has to come up at some point uh, because that's just the way it happens. So let's talk about it a minute. Well, I think it's important to note out that there can be pressure in the opposite direction, and it may come from your parents or it may come from your religion not to have sex. Um, that and that's, and that's one thing to consider. But also... Um, the pressure from society to, you know, like you were, like you were saying, uh, you think that you're supposed to because you've been, been together for so long. And sometimes within relationships, the pressure can come from uh, your partner. Yeah, but is it perceived pressure or is it real pressure? It depends. It, yeah, it depends because, like, I, I've kind of heard both sides where, you know, somebody has felt that, well, the relationship, it, it's maybe, you know, six months along, eight months along, however amount of time, um, and they feel, like, obligated to have sex with their partners. But then there have been situations I've known of girls um, who have been, you know, pressured by their partner. Their partner keeps on asking, maybe asking them why they don't want to have sex, um, you know, asking them if they're, if they're ready. Like, it's a subject that keeps on being brought up by their partner. So I think in that case, like, the pressure can be very real. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really does depend on the situation. Also, and too, you can have pressure coming from outside the relationship, uh, from groups of friends. Um, 
asking constantly, things like that. I know I've heard stories like that before. So, And also important, Melissa, that's a really good point, but it's also important to remember that it's not always male-on-female pressure, that sometimes it's, you know, female-on-male pressure or female-female pressure. You know, it's not just in heterosexual relationships, mm-hmm. and it's not always coming from the male side. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to recognize that as well, that, that the power can come from, from any side. But, um, you know, sometimes Becky always says we compare our shaky insides to everybody's, you know, steel outsides. And and I think that's really interesting um, to think about that sometimes pressure can come from within, whether it's, well, I used to have sex in my other relationships, why not have sex now? Um, you know, things like that, that you think about choices you've made in the past that were fi- you were fine with, and why not with this person? And you don't fully think through why you're actually choosing to have sex with that partner, and you just do it. And sometimes regret comes from that later. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. So... Choosing to have sex can be touchy. So what, what, what are, you know, we could talk for hours about this because, you know, you really talk about what, what does it mean to progress in a relationship. And sometimes you hear that, well, we've progressed to a certain point, so now we must have sex. Or we've progressed to a certain point, or we now must take it to this level. And I think sometimes people put in their minds that all relationships have to have this type of progression by steps that lead to a certain point when they don't relationships can come in different forms but if you do choose if you do choose to have relation have choose to have sex in a relationship what are some of the benefits well um, definitely pleasure is one of the biggest benefits oh my gosh <laughs> you can have sex and have pleasure <laughs> wait how far are we into the show we haven't said that a, a lot tonight <laughs> um but yeah, absolutely, especially if you have a connection with your partner where you feel comfortable to tell them what you like and they feel comfortable to share with you what they like, um, that can definitely be a huge benefit. Well, there's inti- intimacy. I mean, feeling closer with your partner, of course. Does it, ta- does it take sex? Now, coming from a man, I'm not going to be stereotypical, but you said it. You know, that, that having sex makes you feel more intimate or whatever. What do you mean by that? Well, it doesn't necessarily take that. Um, I mean, there's there could be times when sex can push you farther away from your partner for whatever reason. Um, but so you re- what you're saying then is you don't really need sex to be intimate with a partner. No, but I mean, a lot of people associate associate it with intimacy, and a lot of times it can provide that. Yep. I think um, sex can be fun for two people. I think it can be silly. I think it can be you know in the pleasure and in two people having no inhibitions can be fun, you know, and especially if you're in a relationship, that is something that a lot of couples choose to only do with each other. And so that is a special, a special bond that they have. And not all couples are like that. And a lot of couples who are, you know, monogamous, maybe don't feel the bond from sex. But I, I think it's one, one thing that can come from sex. Going off of the sort of intimacy route is, um, you know, it kind of opens up an opportunity for communication, not that people use it. I love to bring up communication. What can I say? (laughs) I'm a journalism major. But, um, you know, it's uh, something to talk about. You get to talk to your partner about what you like, what you don't like, and hopefully they can do the same. So I guess as long, you know, along with intimacy, it can be used properly with communication to to help bring you closer to your partner. Well, I mean... If you're going to bring up communication, I mean, the truest form of intimacy is communication. That's what intimacy is truly at its core definition. So I think it can. But I think sometimes we are under this this idea that the only way that a couple, whether they're heterosexual or not, can be intimate is once they've uh, procreated and have had sex or intercourse. And then they're intimate, finally. Matter of fact, I used to have people run up to me after I was teaching my human sexuality course. I had this story where I was about to go on a racquetball court, and one of my students in the human sexuality court came up to me, ran up to me and said, you know, Dr. D, I was intimate last night. I was like, oh, great, just saw a sunset. She said, no, 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 we had intercourse. Well, that, that was her definition of, of being intimate, was, was having intercourse with somebody. And I'm not here to say that's not intimacy per se, but there's, you know, there's probably, uh, in my book, at least 12 different types of intimacy, with sexual intimacy only being one form. So one of the benefits is it, it, it could bring some intimacy into a relationship, which if you want that relationship to last, you know that intimacy needs to be there because the passion is only going to take you so far. Uh, and then you have to have intimacy. What, what, what about those people who choose not to have sex in a relationship? What benefits are there? STD or STI. Sorry, I got to go politically correct. <laughs> STI free for the most part, de- depending on like um, a person's definitions of sex um, and sexual contact. I mean, you're if you're you know, abstaining from sex, 
uh, it's less likely that you have contracted an STI. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm making generalizations. Uh, so. Yeah, but but it's, it, it's funny, and I'm just going to put you on the spot because, you know, when I say the benefits of choosing not to have sex, you went right to the STI-free thing, which is, you know, which says if you do have sex, you have this big chance of getting an STI, and if you don't have sex, you know, you're going to be STI-free. Why? Why did you jump to that? Um, I think that, uh, well, at least for me, that was a, you know, a major reason for a long time not to Mm -hmm. have sex was kind of that fear, especially, you know, going through the high school health education of if you have sex, you're Uh, going to, you know, contract all these diseases, (laughs) pictures, pictures, you know, so a lot of it was um, straight up for me. Health terrorism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like that's kind of my background. What I immediately jumped to is um, associating abstinence uh, with just sort of sexual health in, in, like, its most sort of kind of pure form a little bit, maybe? Yeah, I'll leave you yeah. alone. It's your last show. <laughs> <laughs> well, abstinence is the only 100% effective way to make sure that you don't contract an STI. Or get pregnant. Or get pregnant. It depends so, on how you define abstinence. That's though. true. That's yeah. true. Yes. All these words have to be defined uh, mm-hmm. in order to really throw them around like we are. I mean, even saying abstinence, I mean, that, that phraseology just drives me up the wall sometimes. That's kind of a banner cry for some folks to say, you know, that sex is bad. Is that abstinence is the true way to to avoid it. But even when we're talking about sex, I mean, how are we defining that? Are we ta- talking intercourse? Are we talking oral uh, intercourse? Are we talking outer course? Are we talking manual masturbation or what? Are we, what are we talking to? So let's go. Let me get back to the, the choice. What's the benefits for choosing not to have sex in a relationship? Um, I think if you're not emotionally ready to have sex, then having sex can be pretty harmful to your psychological health. So let's let, well, let's define that then. What do you, what do you mean by sex? Um, I I consider sex as being oral, anal, vaginal intercourse. Any intercourse. Intercourse. Okay. okay. So it's all right to kiss and hug and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess there are limits too. If you're not ready to kiss someone. You shouldn't kiss someone if you're not ready to have whatever, fill in the blank with your creative imaginations out there. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, what we're talking about when we say abstinence, when you say abstinence, what are you talking about? Well, when I say abstinence, I mean abstaining from oral, anal, or vaginal sex and other genital touching. Yeah. Okay. So even mutual masturbation, I would say, falls in tips, abstinence. Hmm. Okay. So... Are there any benefits to choosing not to have sex by that broad definition? Absolutely. I mean, for instance, like Casey said, you know, definitely um, understanding that you're not ready and understanding, you know, being able to protect your own, you know, emotional health in terms of the connection that you're willing to have with a person and the connection you're not willing to have with a person. Um, You know, I think it gives you the opportunity to really explore where you want to be and what you want to do with your own person and keeping with that same point um a lot of people have a, a religious drive to you know wait till marriage uh, that's something you hear all the time uh, waiting to have sex till you're married um and for a lot of people that you know that's that's a path they want to take um and of course abstaining from sex is the way to do it so. well why, why do you think and maybe the callers the callers can call in too at four three two three eight nine three and tell us why they choose to be abstinent i mean we, you, Aaron, and uh, Andrew, and I have—I've uh, been an HIV counselor for 14 years, and you guys have done it for a few years now. We've seen our share of people who come into HIV counseling, and once they get a negative test, they swear they're going to be abstinent mm-hmm. for then on, which to me is a very unhealthy choice because any any time you force yourself into a certain restriction. To me, whether people want to call up and say, you know, that's wrong, because if they want to be absent, then they'd be 100% safe from all STIs. To me, when you force yourself into abstinence or you go into it because you fear what sex might do to you, I think it's quite unhealthy. What's Absolutely. I completely agree. When you pigeonhole yourself into any kind of thing and you don't give yourself options and you don't understand what your options are and how to protect yourself from those options, then you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's like going on a diet without you know, any kind of understanding of why you're choosing that and how you're going to – what's plan B, basically. 
And I think um, what Aaron's saying too, I mean, you set yourself up for failure. If you, if you decide you're going to be abstinent, then all of a sudden you find yourself in a moment where you want to have sex, then you're not going to be prepared for it. You maybe not going to have condoms available to yourself, uh, all kinds of situations like that where you're just, you're not thinking in that mindset and then all of a sudden it hits you. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm a, a big supporter of people who choose not to have sex. I will support them to my nth degree and I will provide them with numerous activities. They can find pleasure and intimacy in their life, but I'm not in support of people who force themselves into having sex or not having sex because they usually do it for fear-based reasons or for reasons that are not necessarily healthy. Mm -hmm. All right. And actually, we do have a caller on the line, so let's see if they have something to contribute to this topic. Caller, are you there? Hi. Hi. Hello. Do, do you have a question or a comment? Yes. This is specifically for Casey from her friend Alex. I was wondering if you could give some of the listeners out there some advice for uh, non-sexual practices with a partner. Hey, Al, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Um, yes, I can. We have a whole list of things that, um, that you can do to be intimate. And I think that the most important thing to realize is that intimacy is very unique. And what is intimate for one person may not necessarily be intimate with another. And so... Um, we actually have this list. Let me see if I can find it. It's called, thank you, it's called 101 Passion Plays. And um, if you're interested in reading all 101, you can um, call in to Olin Health Center and ask for me. That number is, what is that number? Oh, seven, what's Olin's number? Three five five zero seven one eight. And you can ask for me and I can uh, get you a copy of it. But, um... There's things you can do like massage with scented oils or read Shakespearean sonnets, since I know that you are a theater major. Um, you can play strip poker, you know, and have fun that way. Um, soak in a hot tub, feed grapes to one another, fly a kite, stroll in the rain, take a walk somewhere romantic, you know, have flavored coffees, and just do something that's sensual. Um, hugging, holding hands, holding each other while you while you fall asleep, and again, I think spooning. as we said, spooning, if you will. Um, I think that the the most important thing in becoming intimate intimate with a partner is the communication that you have with that person and knowing what types of things other than sex, if you choose not to have it, um, will will feel intimate for both of you. Thanks, Casey. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> More that no came problem. from. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, it's, it's a good question. I mean, we get it a lot. And uh, I think people struggle sometimes in relationships because they, they believe that, first of all, that sex only has one definition and that they, that they have to have sex. When there's a lot of, I mean, we've talked in the program before, the difference between sensuality and sexuality, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of sensuous things that people can do that will bring them probably many times as much pleasure and, and more closeness and intimacy than the actual act of intercourse will in many cases. I was just laughing at this one, shave each other. I think that's... <laughs> It's a exercise in trust right there. <laughs> Big time. So, interesting. I think kind of the talk about intimacy, though, is interesting because, like, how you're mentioning um, before that a lot of people almost assume that in order to be intimate, you have to be having sex. And I think that could be where a lot of the pressure is coming from, like the desire to be closer to someone. Mm -hmm. um, and that can only be obtained through having sex or that, that sort of mentality. And so, you know, being able to separate intimacy from sex is very important in a relationship. Well, I think, I think it's because the terminology is used so often in, you know, we were intimate, you know, last night, or intimate apparel, or stuff like that. It all has to do with physical contact with another person or, or people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the truth is, if you think about intimacy, the core definition is a warm personal closeness with another human being, a sharing, a, you know, a self-disclosure. And think about it. I mean, uh, have you got somebody that you uh, uh, really like to talk to, that you feel that when you talk to them, they really hear you? 
Of course. Okay. Now there, I would call that what I would call emotional intimacy. And we all have this, you know. I have a, a like an aesthetic intimacy. I, you know, I can go out with my with my dear partner and see a sunset, and and we can be feel really close because we're sharing the same type of aesthetic experience. Or people who are playing in a band together when they're when, when they're jamming and they're playing music, and they have that creative intimacy where it's a really warm closeness that you have with another thing. So there's all different types of forms of intimacies, but we always tend to think of the one. That we, that's important is that physical one, and many times you don't get it unless you have intercourse with somebody, and it's you know, and, and we can talk about the wholeness of it all and the joining together and all that stuff like that. But it's really, it really I think uh, uh, gives intimacy the wrong definition for most people. Oh, awkward <laughs> pause. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know what to say after that. It um, was an intimate moment right there. Yeah. <laughs> Just being able to enjoy Crossing silence intimacy. with each other. That's how close I feel with you guys. Not right a good now. idea on a radio show. <laughs> Not so much. But. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> um, well, we were going to talk a little bit about uh, the knowledge uh, uh, as far as who's who chooses to be sexually active on this campus or not. Yep. So Absolutely. Well, what we know about students on campus is that there are about 24 pr- percent of students who are choosing not to have sex um, at any given time. So um, that's a pretty high percentage if you're you're looking at 45,000 students. I mean, we're almost 12,000 students. So um, that's a good number of people that are are choosing to not be sexually active. And they have a variety of reasons of why they're choosing not to be sexually active. I mean, I've, I've been in discussions with students that um, that are in that position, and they have a variety of answers. Whether it's um, you know moral and religious reasons to not feeling safe, um, you know, like Melissa, you talked about the STI, HIV kind of thing, and wanting to prevent that, to just not being ready, um, you know, not having a partner that they felt they were ready to do that with. Well, I think most people would be shocked at that because it's you know we, we know there's a lot of misperception about two topics on this on any campus. Alcohol and sex. Mm-hmm. No, everybody's uh, doing it, and everybody's, everybody's doing drinking. it. Everybody's getting it. Everybody's drinking it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I think there would be a lot of people out there who feel supported by the fact that you know they're in good company for those who choose not to mm-hmm. to uh, express themselves sexually. Uh, uh, plus, the fact that you know I think the data shows that the majority of people who do sexually express themselves have one partner. You know, I think a lot of people believe that, you know, oh, I know somebody who has 18 partners or mm-hmm. everyone's having sex with 10 different people. It's not, it's really not the truth. The truth is that it's it's a lot more conservative than most people think. Absolutely. We like to talk big. I think that's a big thing with with students our age because we always compare ourselves to other people and, you know, somebody says, I have three partners. Well, and I have to have at least five partners. And, you know, for some people. It kind of reminds me of an American Pie, how they were talking about the rule of numbers. <laughs> yes. If a guy tells you a number, you divide it by three. If a girl tells you a number, you multiply it by three. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> people like to play with numbers. And um, I think something to, important to bring up is on the other end, on the abstinence end, is that not all people who are abstinent might necessarily be virgins because there are a lot of people who have had sex and have chosen to abstain you know, after that for various reasons. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Very good point. So it's important to define these words with your partner when you're actually having this conversation. You know, I mean, if you talk about being abstinent, you shouldn't assume that they've never had sex. Well, yeah, there was was an article out, I think it was last year, it said that there's an epidemic of STIs among virgins, and everyone went, uh, what? Immaculate STIs. How can you have have sexually transmitted infections with virgins? Well, the fact is that virginity is defined different ways by different people in different cultures. And most people define virginity as not having uh, vaginal intercourse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they don't include anal intercourse, oral intercourse, touching, masturbation, or any of those things. And many of the most prevalent STIs out there are skin-to-skin contact. So we have this epidemic of of STIs among virgins, and people go, oh, how can that happen? Well, it's based on how you define it, even abstinence. I mean, what... You know, Aaron and I were talking before we went on. I said, you know, I just don't like that word, abstinence, mm-hmm. because there's so much moral power in that word, just like masturbation. We, have, we put so much different moral judgments into these worlds, words when abstinence really just means, at this point in my life, I'm choosing not to have sex mm-hmm. or not to have intercourse or here's my list of things I'm choosing not to do, but I will do these, you know. So it's it's tough sometimes. You have to define those. And it's I found a- it- Sorry, go ahead. I found it really interesting. One thing that I learned just through working here is um, you can be abstinent for 
any amount of time, you know, you can say, I'm going to abstain from sex tonight or for th three weeks or until I'm 21, until I'm married, three, you know, you can pick a number. It doesn't have to be I'm abstinent forever or I'm never abstinent. You know, it can be, it's up, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. I think what's important to remember is that abstinence, you know, it has such a broad definition in that you can define it for yourself and you can talk about it with your partner because it does mean a lot of different things for everybody. It sure does. And I don't think we do always do a good job of that. And we definitely don't get educated about that because all we usually hear are the words, you know, be abstinent, just say no, all this stuff. And, and they don't define it for you. So when someone says, well, I like to be abstinent, can you define that for me? Well, that's mean don't touch anybody. At any time, at any point. No, no one really teaches you any of that. So it is difficult. And it's important, I think, to um, to make sure that, that you have defined that for yourself. Um, also because you, you can put up some emotional barriers in your head uh, to protect yourself morally um, when in some cases it won't necessarily protect you physically. Um, just because, you know, you, you think you're you're being absent, you're not having uh, vaginal intercourse, so you decide not to use protection um, just because it's not really sex. Um, you need to make sure you're not making that mistake because you can still, you know, you can have an immaculate <laughs> STI, <laughs> so to speak. Um, you know, oral sex can still transmit um, STIs and as, as can anal sex. Mm -hmm. um, I think we should define STIs because I think we threw that around without defining it. But An STI is a sexually transmitted infection. includes things like herpes, HPV. Gonorrhea, chlamydia, all that stuff. I feel like that could be like one of those run-on things that go on after uh, the pharmaceutical commercial. <laughs> May include things like gonorrhea. <laughs> well, and I think that's one of the things we do, and I know we're, we're going to go to a break here, but before we go to that break, I just want to say that what we try to do in teaching human sexuality is try to actually get to the core definition of some of these words because we use them a lot, and many times we run into trouble because we're not quite sure what they mean or if our partner knows what they mean. You know, if you say to your partner, we're saying that, the one question was, when and how do I do that? Well, first of all, you need to fi figure out what it means to you. What it means to you to be uh, abstaining, to be absent, to be a virgin, to have sex. When, when you say to somebody, let's have sex, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. Does that mean let's just <laughs> get into bed and do the, uh, you know, nasty? Or what does it mean? Okay. All right, and uh, I guess we can talk about this a little bit more after our break. And also after our break, we've got Casey and Aaron flexing their acting muscles because they're going to demonstrate a little skit for us here. On Be your afraid. <laughs> Be afraid. <laughs> but, oh, you know, don't want to scare them off. No, no. But that's coming up after our break here on your Impact Sexposure here on 88.9 FM. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. And we're back here with your Exposure. I'm your host, Melissa. Actually, my last show tonight. And I'm so glad to be sharing it with the folks from Olin Health Center um, with our monthly segment of Sexposure. And actually, we've got something very exciting uh, coming up. We've got a little skit. But first, if you guys have any questions out there, feel free to give us a call at 432-3893. And right now, we have Casey and Aaron... Drum roll, please. They will. They'll be flexing uh, their acting muscles right now in a little skit. So uh, I guess I'll let you guys just go into it. Yeah. Awesome. This is a skit called "Loving Yourself," and it goes a little something like this. 
So, all I'm saying is it's not hard to get yourself off. Ew, do you have to be so graphic? Graphic? Hell, have you ever heard the guys talk about it? Why should we hide it? It's normal. They don't have to reach all the way in there. What are you talking about reaching in there? You don't have to fist it or anything. I mean, if you're using a cucumber or a toys cucumber? or something. A cucumber? But basically, it's just kind of, you feel your way around, touching and rubbing your clit. Okay, that's enough. No, seriously. Rubbing your what? Your clit. You know, the little nubby thing above your vaginal opening? And it doesn't hurt? Oh, no. It feels great. And then you know what you like best. You can please yourself and teach your partner if you want. <laughs> we'll have to continue this conversation later. I have some studying to do. Wink. Masturbation isn't something we should hide or be ashamed of. It's a healthy way of expressing yourself and sexually, and a lot of people choose it. 80% of women and 90% of men report they have masturbated. It may not be right for everyone. Do what your own beliefs tell you, and don't be ashamed break <laughs> snaps for that so that's a little uh tidbit as to what the theater troupe does um that was a skit broadcasting we said the c word Are you sh- everybody's blushing in here oh well, i was just kind of thinking about there's got to be some guy from the fcc who's like well, okay there's got to be something in there <laughs> yeah. that we can bust for there's got to be what happened during our break yeah <laughs> So, uh, Casey, I hear there's a theater troupe at Olin House Center. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? There is. Um, the theater troupe actually goes around to dorms or fraternities, sororities, other campus events, and does skits about sex, basically. It's called In Your Face Theater Troupe, and they do shows um, every Wednesday at 7. And if you would like to see a show, you should ask your mentor to contact Olin at 353-0718. Or also you can go right on our website, olin.msu.edu, and um, print out a scheduling contract if the show is something you think you might want to schedule. And also um, some exciting news is that if that skit intrigued you and you are looking to (laughs) get some more theatrical experience or learn a little more about sexual health education, um, you can actually audition for the sex troupe tomorrow at 7 o'clock in room 247 of Olin. And when you go in there, there will be signs on how to get to the audition. And you'll just go there, and you don't have to prepare anything. You'll just read a few of the skits. It's a really laid-back atmosphere, and it's a lot of fun. I was actually in Sex Troop for two and a half years. so. Um, well, you know, after that uh, skit, uh, it may not be just your last show. <laughs> 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 it may be sex. But, you know, it it, it, it's, it uh and I shouldn't even have to say that. We should be able to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. uh, in public and on the air. I mean, we talk about uh, uh, the concept of masturbation being a healthy alternative. And it's funny, you know, for some of you may remember back in the, in the Bill Clinton era, uh, uh, we had a Surgeon General, uh, uh, what's her name again? Oh. Her name. Uh, Jocelyn name. Elders, Dr. Jocelyn oh, Elders, who who actually made a speech uh, talking about that we should be teaching masturbations in school systems as an alternative to intercourse, which can actually, you know, produce uh, harmful consequences if not done in the manner that, uh, uh, you know, is taught with protection and stuff like that. And she was uh, summarily fired from her position two days later uh, under pressure uh, to the Clinton administration that she should not be talking about these things. So you can see when we talk about these things, which are really considered healthy, we're not trying to tell you to go against your religion or your morality, but as a health educator, it's my job to say it is a healthy alternative. Mm-hmm. Not that you should do it, and the reason we said the numbers, but it is a, it is an alternative for folks who, are, number one, are not in relationships, and who sure. choose not to be in relationships, and who choose not to express themselves sexually. They can they can express themselves with their own selves. Absolutely, I think it's um, interesting to think about all of the reasons why people say you you shouldn't masturbate. Like you'll go blind, you'll palms, grow hair on your palms. What else? What else is there? I just had that skit from um, American Dad caught in my head, where they have like the guy masturbating. Well, goes into a room, comes out, and basically his palms are covered in hair. <laughs> wow! Yeah, or it'll fall off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to before. perform sexually. Yep. Yep. Well, but but in honesty, uh, the, when 
you do the research and you ask people why they actually do choose to masturbate, many times it's to learn about their bodies. Mm-hmm. Most of the times it's, it's to relieve tension. Uh, sometimes it's sexual tension. And you know what? If a person chooses to do that, that's their right. And many times it can be a lot more healthy than some of the other alternatives that people choose to do. It can also Mm -hmm. be educational. You can find out what works for you Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. be able to talk to your partner about it. Absolutely. All right. And now we have a caller. So we're going to go see if they have any maybe suggestions or comments. Um, Caller? Hello? Hello. Hi. Do you have any questions or comments? I do. This is Andrea calling. (laughs) I wanted to say hi to Andrew. And I had a question about... um, Mainly about, I know that you talk a lot to different people on campus, and if you've noticed the difference in the perception of um, what the sexual norms are on campus with guys versus girls, if you notice a difference in, you know, what kind of expectations, if if you know if a guy meets a girl, what kind of expectations they have, because I've just noticed talking to, you know, friends of mine that they seem to have, like, preconceived notions of, what's normal, you know, on if you were to just hook up with someone. So I'm just curious as far as if you've talked to, if you've noticed trends. Hey, Andrea. Hi. <laughs> well, we can all answer that, Andrea. Thanks for, mm-hmm. you, thanks for your, your question. I think that uh, two, two answers, actually. One, if you ask people in public, and they have to identify themselves, they tend to still hold on to the perceptions. They tend to hold on to perceptions that, uh, whether whether men or women, that, uh, you know, a lot more people are having sex than really, really uh, happens. But if you ask them to write it down, you ask them the question about, have you, are you sexually active, and how many partners you have, you'll see a real dichotomy from what what the perception is to what really the behavior is. And, and uh uh, when you go into a classroom, and a great way to do this, I just see, saw this recently, is having these remote controls. They're called clickers. When you ask people to to uh, uh, put down how many partners you think the average MSU student has, they'll put, you know, three or four. But then when you ask them how many partners have you had in the last year, they'll put zero or one. And then you can see that there's a huge misperception. But I think in going around and talking about about it and actually telling people what the norms are, then the perceptions start to change. Mm-hmm. Like tonight when we say that, you know, 25% of or 24% of students choose not to be sexually active, there'll be a lot of people out there going, no way, no, no. well, maybe, uh, mm, don't know but they have to try it on sometimes Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think um the more we talk about the what the actual numbers are the more discussions there tend to to have out there and so i mean if you look at our social norming campaign around alcohol it's we've definitely seen you know dramatic changes in reporting numbers and and so i think with sexual health it's the same way and we're trying to to improve the amount of um, actual data that we're giving in our presentations because i think it helps people understand what's really going on in their own environment yeah, I, I heard a quote recently um, from a student talking about how promiscuous the MSU community is. Mm-hmm. And it, it turned out to be just a perception within their own group of friends. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's important to note, uh, I think Dennis was mentioning earlier, that something like, I don't, I don't know the percentage exactly, but most people that are sexually active, most students that are sexually active at MSU have a regular partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, you know, sleeping around with a, a, a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, it's it's one steady partner that they have. And, and you know, uh, the other thing, Andrea, some of the misperceptions out there aren't necessarily healthy. Like one of the things that, that uh, I think Casey said or whatever, there are some misperceptions out there that when we give them the norms, it actually liberates them or gives them permission. Like if you ask most women, you know, what's the percentage of women who actually masturbate, most women tend to guess quite low because they don't believe that's something that's approved of by whatever, parents, whatever. And when you tell them that that uh, women this age, usually about 80, 90 percent have already chosen to, to masturbate, they go, oh, my God, all of a sudden it is normal. It mm-hmm. is the norm. So some of these can be liberating and give people permission also. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good question. Yeah. Well, Thanks, well, thank Andrea. you. <laughs> Excellent question. All right. Bye. 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 Have a good yeah. night. But but it is a tough topic, you know. Even me, who's been in the field thirty years now, you know, and Aaron will call me on it sometimes. I, I still will will kind of go, oh cripes, that word came up again because sometimes it's so loaded mm-hmm. with connotations, and people tend to like to to use some of the words that we use in sexuality as as spark plugs to you know start a debate or start a conflict. So, mm-hmm. but 
You know, that's why we just need to change the word to something else. <laughs> or define it. I, I think when we, you know, when you come back at people with, well, how, what are you really talking about here and what are we defining this as, um, you know, that's where the real education starts and that's where the real conversations come. And so in terms of talking with your partner and, and trying to really figure out this whole sex business, you know, really know what you're talking about. I mean, really know when, you're, when you say I'm abstinent, what does that mean? And does your partner really understand what you mean by that? And, um, and when you say I want to have sex, what do you mean by I want to have sex? Because um, if you aren't clear and your partner isn't clear, there's going to be some miscommunication there. Um, and miscommunication doesn't always lead to good things. And you probably didn't learn everything you need to know in the sixth grade sex right. education <laughs> class you had. I don't think my class covered masturbation at all, actually. <laughs> no, we have a great book, though, up in Health Ed, Sex Etiquette 101. We take it to a lot of programs, to a lot of um, things that we do. And if you stop into health education and, and come visit me, I'll even give you one. So, um, we'll give you a complimentary copy. Yes. Don't be shy. I've got mine shy. on my coffee <laughs> Just table. come talk to Erin. I'll get you one. But it's a great book because, you know, it explains everything on a level that um, that is, is really easy to understand and easy for you to read. There's different, um, you know, questions in there that are answered by experts um, that are written by college students and written by young people. And so it helps you kind of understand on a level that's not so scientific. Um, and it, it talks about some real-life scenarios. And there's even pictures. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's Real-life pictures. It's true. It's I think true. something... Um, Dennis touched on earlier that I think is really interesting as far as the stigmas about masturbation goes is that there seems to be a huge negative stigma about women who masturbate compared to men and how, you know, it. when you look at the numbers, they're not all that different. And, you know, our statistics are always people who admit to masturbating. So we really can't say that it's not even as far as people who choose to masturbate. And I think that um, more women should should realize that it's it's not something that's physical physically harmful. And if it's if it's something that your morals say is okay, that it can be actually, you know, good for your sex life with your partner, or if you're not with a partner. I don't know if anybody out there has seen the vagina monologues, but um, just a little plug for the vagina monologues in February that I'm in. But there's a great monologue um, that talks about the vagina workshop, and one of my really good friends is in it. Um, and she talks about she thought that an orgasm was something that someone's supposed to give her and something that um, that she was waiting for someone to come and, and give her. And when she's in this vagina workshop, she realizes that she can actually give herself an orgasm. She doesn't have to depend on someone else to give her that, to give her that kind of pleasure. And so I think it's really important just for women in terms of embracing their own um, you know, their own pleasure and their own selves to understand that it's not necessarily waiting for someone to come by and give you one. You know, well, you know, it's, it's almost a whole re-education about the way we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it as having sex or giving it to somebody or not giving it to somebody or stuff like that. And it's really from from a, a, a what we call a rotophobic standpoint, which means really talking about the positive aspects of sexuality. Sexuality isn't something you give to somebody. It's something that you, that you decide that you want to experience with yourself or with somebody else. But the whole concept of talking about that, I mean, there are people, I know there are people that we say the word masturbation or you say clit or you say any of those words out there just cringe mm -hmm. for different reasons. Cringe because they don't believe it should be talked about publicly. Cringe because of their, their, their baggage that they've carried or their upbringing or their, their religion, and that, that's fine. We're not here to insult anybody, but we are here to say that, that there are certain things that are normal in, in the human condition and development that uh, you have the right to explore for yourself. By exploring, I mean, you choose whether you want to be involved. There's great books out there, and there's great uh, videos and stuff on how to choose to be sexually active. I mean, one of the videos that used to go out of my office all the time was how to become orgasmic. Because it is a question that a lot of people have. They don't like to talk about it publicly. But just look at the flood of of the toy workshops that are going on. I hear about them all the time on campus and off campus. Women going to all these different these uh, uh, parties that uh, uh, are being put on for toys, sexual toys and stuff. And why, why do they go to them? I don't know if they always go to them to see the toys. They go to them for, for permission to learn, mm -hmm. to to realize, uh, you know, that uh, maybe this is something that I have a right to explore. And by explore, I mean 
you know, if there's something that they want to be involved with. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the, the things that we do best and one of the things I think Impact has done by allowing a show on is giving people permission. They listen to the show and they might get mad. Other people might go, you know, what? They're talking about it openly. And Casey said tonight that 80% of people do choose to do this and maybe I have a right to do it. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest benefits that we do and, and continuously applaud Impact for allowing us to be on until he shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting because I think like the, that whole choice aspect and the toys and, and whatnot, it kind of demonstrates like that when it comes to female masturbation, it typically kind of comes a little bit later in life because for women, at least I just kind of maybe speaking from personal experience, it's not something that you might know how to do or know who to talk to. And so those books, those toys, um, that opportunity, I mean, sometimes isn't really even available to you until you're 18. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, boys seem to have an opportunity to sort of learn about that or even, like, the locker room talk. Um, It's more readily available at a younger age than it was for, for women. Like, just kind of personal experience again it's just even looking up books on it I found it kind of difficult like there were a lot of books on sexuality um sex but maybe not so much focusing on masturbation like which is why the sexual etiquette book uh mm-hmm. two thumbs up you know has pictures and uh, you know great coffee they're tea. drawings they're not Drawing, <laughs> drawings drawings I'm sorry but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the things that that we don't learn about that we experience that sometimes just makes me go huh you know, I've read so many stories of both men and women who have stumbled upon everything from wet dreams to masturbation to having a period of stuff. Nothing that they're ever taught, but they stumble upon. You know, most most women do learn masturbation by accident. And if you don't, really don't know what's going on with you when you have something like that, and you can laugh and chuckle about it uh, all you want, but when you stumble upon something from having your period to a wet dream to whatever, and no one's ever told you about that, I mean... Uh, where does that leave you? I mean, it leaves you many times in a closet thinking about what the hell just happened. Yeah. It, that that might have felt good or that was horrible. I'm, oh, my God, I'm bleeding. Or, you know, even wet dreams. We've talked about that. Men, people laugh about it. But imagine having one of those and not knowing what they are. Uh, it can be very tragic. Folks. It can lead so. to what's wrong with me when it's really just a normal occurrence. Mm-hmm. What a, what a society. Why we also have Bodyline on mm-hmm. Olin website because some people are just afraid to ask these questions to, to real people or to call in and, and, and find out what's going on. So a great way to get your questions answered is to go to the Olin website, mm-hmm. olin.msu.edu, and follow the link to Bodyline. You can submit a question regarding sexuality or nutrition or fitness, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um and you'll get an answer back anonymously from an expert. So um, someone that can really answer your question and give you some resources to, to visit. So that can be a great resource. You know, and we started this program talking about people choosing not to have sex. And just think about it for a minute. Even the choice not to have sex should be a fully aware choice. Mm-hmm. You should be given all the information you absolutely, positively ever wanted to have about sex so that, that you can fully and comfortably choose not to have sex but what usually happens is that we give a little bit of information people have to make a choice to have it or not to have it and it's not fully informed that 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 to me is the most unhealthy thing you can do is not giving people clarity about their choices Mm-hmm. Like it was interesting just bringing up the um, Surgeon General once again, mm-hmm. the fact that here was a woman who is almost in a way kind of encouraging people by not having sex, by having this alternative. Mm-hmm. And even that's taboo to talk about. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, offering as a Surgeon General, which is was her duty, an option that was fulfilling but protected you and she got canned. You know, what's <laughs> What's that say about uh, our society? Absolutely. God forbid we have tr- pleasure. Well, I think the decision um, to have sex should, I think an important point to make about it is the decision should always be about yourself first before anybody else. Um, it, it's an internal decision first and foremost, and you have to know why you're making that decision for yourself to begin with before anybody else or anything else gets involved. You know, the question before in the beginning, I know we are running out of time, was the when and how to bring up something. You know, the fact that we don't talk openly about sex as a culture, 
No wonder why we have problems deciding when. I mean, you, you don't usually have a t trouble deciding when and how to talk about what car we should go in or where we should go eat or anything like that. But when it's sex, it's when and how do I bring it up about my choices? Well, mm -hmm. the fact that we don't talk about it openly, period, leads to the fact that people have really tough time talking about it in a relationship because it's not an open topic. Absolutely. So... To close out the show real quick, just want to remind everybody that if you have more questions about what we talked about tonight or sexuality in general, um, definitely visit olin.msu.edu. Um, check out the body line link. And if you don't see your question answered there, then write us one. Um, and also don't forget to go to the Theater Troop auditions tomorrow night, uh, January 17th from 7 p.m. until... They end <laughs> room 247 in Olin Health Center. So. And if you want more information about what we're talking tonight, please give us a call. Go to mm -hmm. Bodyline, stop in Olin, pick up a Sexual Advocate 101 book. We're always happy to talk to you about choices. I mean, health is about giving you as much information as possible so you can make a good decision. Yeah. do want to thank Melissa for being the host all this time. It's been wonderful having you, even though it's your last show. It's too bad you're missing next month. We're having a pimpology workshop. Ooh, wait, wait. This sounds pretty familiar. Did you guys get this idea from a case hall mentor that I? The case hall mentor is doing it. The pimpologist will be with us. The pimpologist. I know him personally, so you guys got to tell him hi for me. But we we really appreciate you being on in. We we do want everyone to stay tuned because my favorite sensuous program. <laughs> Fortune Twang is up next. So please stick, stay tuned to that. But Melissa, thank you. Yeah, no, and I want to thank you guys. It's been a lovely run, a lovely year, and I am going to miss exposure. So uh, I guess we're going to pass off to uh, Progressive Torch and Twang here on your Impact 88.9 FM. See ya. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.